Pittsburgh Steel fans, welcome to this week's episode of Steel's War Room. I'm your host of this weekly show, Matty Peverell, the host of the show that likes to put me in the minds of Kevin Colbert. Um, well, it's hard to say that. I've got to change that. He's no longer the jam. Let's say Brandon Hunt, Omar Khan, Mike Tomlin, Art Rooney II, um, and the rest of the Steelers front office is able to put together a winning roster in 2022 and beyond a roster that's taking shape with rookie minicamp this week. And that really brings us to the third round draft pick. Um, as we know, we started off our post-draft series last week with number two pick George Pickens. Um, before we get into today's pick, DeMarvin Leal, and then we'll go right through to round seven. And then we'll start again at round one because I didn't want you guys to have to listen to everything Kenny Pickett or post-draft. So you know, really excited to bring you these draft picks each week. You know, obviously here on War Room, we talk about free agency and, and all about how the team builds, you know, to make sure that they have a winning roster um, each season. And uh, the draft's a big part of that. Um, and it's obviously anyone that knows me on the Behind the Steel Curtain network, your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steels at BehindTheSteelCurtain.com um, and uh, your non-stop shop across the audio side as well. You know, you know that I love the draft. Um, you know that I love, you know, putting how the team builds, how the team gets better, how the team gets younger, um, how the team develops players. It's something I find really exciting. And so we enter today's show really looking at a player, uh, you know, DeMarvin Leal out of Texas A&M. You know, yes, the title talked about a steal. No, it talked about a steal. Um, and, you know, some people pronounce his name Leal, but it is Leal. Um, you know, six foot three, 283 pounds out of Texas A&M, um, you know, three years there at Texas A&M, 2019, 2020, and 2021. Really interesting player for the Steelers. The Steelers drafted him in at 82nd overall. Uh, you know, he was ranked 52nd on Pro Football Network of their consensus board. Tony Pauline, who uh, Jeff Hartman spoke to right before the draft, he had him ranked as the 64 best, best prospect. Uh, Cam Mella had him ranked as the 58th best prospect. Hmm, I'm struggling to say prospect today. I've just swapped my uh, Invisalign retainer over and it's causing me a bit of grief. Um, 60th was his ranking with Ian Cummings, um, who also writes for Pro Football Network. He was the fourth defensive tackle behind um, Jordan Davis, uh, first-round draft pick, Devontae Wyatt, first-round draft pick, and Perry and Winfrey. And he was one spot ahead of Travis Jones, who we talked about a lot going through the draft process, not just on my show, um, you know, a number of different shows sort of focused there on, on Travis Jones or at least talked about him. He was the 89th best prospect from Daniel Jeremiah. Um, and on the draft network, they had him as the 29th overall best prospect as well. Um, now, that's really interesting because you've got a guy essentially here that regardless of where you rank him, whether you're a Tony Pauline ranking him at 64, you're an, he's a top 52 player on Pro Football Network. He's an 89th with Daniel Jeremiah, who, who does his, a little bit of his predictions more on where people are going to get picked in terms of their, where they're going to be picked in when he does those top 150 prospects. Still's got him at 80, 80, you know, they drafted him there in the 80s. That's incredible at 84. That is an incredible result for the Steelers. A guy... Very early on through the hype, I was listening to NFL Tapeheads, um, a podcast from the NFL Network um, throughout the, you know, the draft process. And there's no point going listening back. It's very technical. And, you know, I brought you guys the best of it on this show because that's what we're here to do, provide you with everything so we're your nonstop shop. And they talked about how a lot of a guy like DeMarvin Leal had been his, his 
sort of rankings on that border. And Daniel Jeremiah talked about it too um, in the move the stick shows or pass through the draft. They talked about how media had hyped him up so much earlier on in the season and that, that tape didn't necessarily fully show it. But I like that he's, you know, a junior coming out. I like that he's 21. Um, Draft Network actually has enlisted as 6'4 with 106, um, 283 um, weight. It's pro football focus, have him at 6'3. Um, so it's sort of interesting when you look at it from that perspective. But you've got a guy here that's clearly, you know, done a bit in college. Um, and so we'll look at his profile. So the Draft Network talk about him as a former five-star prospect um, out of Texas. Um, recruit, he was one of the first big recruiting gets from the Jimbo Fisher era. True junior, started all three years for Texas A&M. He possesses rare size, athleticism, and functional strength that makes him a dominant and versatile defensive lineman. In the Texas A&M defensive scheme, he lined up in every alignment and was impactful at every position. And we'll talk about that later in, in the show and part two around the snaps that he played and where he played at. Um, but, you know, he lined up in every, so he lined up in every alignment, um, impactful at every position, has the power to collapse pockets from the interior and the speed to be an effective edge rusher. That's what we've sort of seen so far. It's kind of thinking about where he's going to fit. I know Jeffrey Benedict talked about him being a four-eye, which is quite interesting when you look at the snaps, the snap counts that he paid, played in college. Um, you know, they said that in the NFL, he'll best be utilized as an interior defensive lineman that can overwhelm offensive linemen with his ability Um to convert speed to power overall, he has rare athleticism will become a physically dominant defensive lineman once he's placed in one specific role. I'm assuming he's obviously in a coaching ideal role three tech where he can use his rare combination of size and athleticism to get gap penetration scheme fit attacking for three or three tech. Um, they had him at uh, measurables uh 40 yard dash, five seconds, vertical 28, um, 106 broad jump. He didn't do the three cone, 20, 20 yard shuttle at a 449, hand size 9.5 inches, wingspan um, almost 80 and a half inches. Um, but interestingly, when you actually look at the combine results, um, 40 yard dash, he did run that five seconds behind, I think he was seventh on that list to, yeah, seventh on that list. He's 20 yard shuttle though, he was second with a 449. Um, to give you put that in perspective, when you look at the linebackers, you know, 449 would have placed him, only five guys attempted it. But, he, you know, Darren Beavers had a 428. If you look at the defensive end guys, Aiden Hutchinson had a 415. George Karloftis had a 436. Um, David Ajabo had a 445. Logan Hall had a 444. So he is more of that interior guy, but he's still pretty quick um, from that perspective. Uh, there, Federian Mathis had a 4191. Travis Jones, for all those out there, there's still Travis Jones fans, even though he's with the Ravens, he had a 458. Um, so kind of interesting from that perspective in terms of that athleticism, um, that we talk about. And they comparing to Chris Jones at the Kansas City Chiefs. So when we go back and look later in the show around some stats, I actually thought I'd pull up Chris Jones's stats um, when he played uh, in college, and you know, at the University of Mississippi State, and we can really look at of the College of Mississippi State, and we can look at the difference in the two because you might be surprised at some of the and that comparison. <laughs> I like that comparison. If you can deliver that, well, I think all Steel fans would be happy considering it's his with a third round pick. So that's the draft network on uh on, there on to Marvin Leal. 
Then we move across to Pro Football Network and their scouting report on them. Um, they said he entered the season as one of the leading um, leading light of the interior defensive line class, potential top 10 pick, um, former five-star recruit as well. Um, you know, they thought he might be more highly regarded come April. They said he's one of the most versatile linemen in the nation in college. Now we saw that as well. Like, you know, you saw, we'll see that when we talk about snaps, but you've seen everyone talk about the fact he can work all over the defensive line. I think that's really good because I think, and I think it's really valuable because of how much sub package teams like the Steelers play now. And I think that is where we're going to see him really thrive um, potentially in terms of being able to, you know, um, rack up lots of snaps, lots of snaps. Um, in addition to his size and athletic ability, Profile Ball Network talks about how he was blessed with a remarkable arm length. This enables him to be disruptive in multiple ways, uses his length at the point of attack to cause issues in the ground game. Additionally, he uses his arms to get up and disrupt the ball in the air. And we saw that. Um, you'll be quite surprised how many pass defenses he had. I didn't realize he had that many until I went through another stat site. They talk also about the fact that his pass rush plan is a work in progress. I think the Steelers can teach pass rush. Um, you can hang out with TJ Watt a little bit for that, or you can hang out with Cam Haywood or Stefan Tewitt if Tewitt's back. They did say that he's got several tools in his armory. He's exhibited the ability to use push-pull, bull rush, and spin moves to find a way to win um, against the block. His bull rush contains excellent power and routinely moving men upfield and into the path of their quarterback. That's what you want to see. You know, we see Cameron Haywood force offensive linemen to collapse in the pocket. We, you know, and that, you know, I just think it's so cool that he'll be able to learn off Cam Haywood. Um, they say positives, obviously one of the best versatile linemen in the nation, rare athleticism at his size, or at least exceptional athleticism, impressive change of direction ability. You see that in the 20 yard, in the, you know, 20 yard in the shuttle, um, and enough speed to be a problem as an outside rusher. Um, as we talked about with several tools in his armory, push, pull, bull rush, spin moves. Um, they also said that the, the negative is his positional projection. And, and does he get enough time, you know, when he goes into the NFL? Will someone stick him in a position, what they're inferring by this, or will he move around so much he never really nails one spot? Um, if he's going to be a DT, he'll need to add some muscle. And as an ed rusher, he lacks some of the flexibility required at the next level. Um, he needs to routinely execute a better pass rush plan, putting together combinations. Um, he struggles with the ability to disengage from blockers sometimes and needs to improve his hand usage. I saw similar things if you go back and look at the report from TJ Watt. Now, different positions, but real, the reality is, is that I think, you know, he's going to be able to do something to support, um, you know, to get better at least in this position. And it's interesting to talk about weight with him as well because Mike Tomlin was asked um, about whether he needed to put on weight because apparently he spoke to journalists in the press conference at the Milky Minicamp um, where he had mentioned that he was putting on weight and Mike Tomlin said, we don't want him to put on weight. You know, people, and he using, you know, the quote inverted commas or quotation marks um, sort of hand signals and said, like, look, you know, people are telling guys like this to put on weight. We don't want them to put on weight. We want to see the athletic capability. So I think it's going to be really interesting. Do they try and slim him down? I think losing 30 pounds doesn't seem right to me. Do they want him to only put on, you know, put more muscle on and only maybe put five or 10 pounds on, stay under 300 as a defensive end um, in their system? Or do they want him to put on, you know, up to 20 to 30 pounds and become a really, you know, focused on the interior defensive line? And that's going to be the really interesting thing. So as you can sort of tell by now, we've got a really interesting player here. We've got a player that, you know, the Steelers have said got value there at 84. You're seeing a lot of positives 
Um, the biggest knock on him at the moment really is that, you know, how can he channel that athleticism? How is he going to learn a specific position? And who's he, is he going to be drafted really by the right team that's going to make him work? I think it's interesting with the Steelers too, because obviously they run a 3-4 and there's talk about him fitting with a 4-3 and you look at the way Chandler Jones did things with the Chiefs as well. Um, you know, is there that alignment? I think that's really the interesting thing is how the Steelers are going to use him. But hey, to get an insight now, how the Steelers are going to use him, we're going to go back and look at all his stats. Um, he chalked up some interesting ones. We're going to look at where he played from a snap count perspective. And we'll do a little comparison to Chris Jones as well. But that's all coming in part two. We're back on Steelers War Room. I'm your host of this weekly show, Matt Peverell, the host of the show that puts you in the minds of Kevin Colbert. I'm always going to, I'm going to struggle not to say that anymore. He's not with the organization, with the new GM, Brandon Hunt, Omar Khan, Mike Tomlin, Arvini II, and the rest of the Steelers front offices as they look to put together a winning roster in 2022 and beyond. A roster that I always like to say needs to compete for that seventh Lombardi trophy. Now, before I get into part two with all the cool stats around DeMarvin Liao, I just want to say, if you're missing other shows on Behind the Steel Curtains family of podcasts, you're really, you're not just missing shows, you're missing out. You know, we have awesome, an awesome morning lineup. We have an awesome noon lineup. This show, this show was the pioneer for a noon lineup. And then we have awesome shows that go on live on YouTube and then get moved over to audio every night of the week, basically. Um, we've got two on Friday night because you have the touchdown on the show with myself and Marky Davison. And then you have Tony Duffio's six pack with Tony. So really you have us come on in at about, you know, between 4.30, between 4.30 and 6 p.m. And then you get Tony at like 8.30 to 9 p.m. So literally you listen to us while you crack open a nice cold beverage, um, you know, or on your way home from work heading into the weekend. And then you can get home, have your dinner. Um, and then enjoy some Tony to get you into the weekend. I mean, what better, particularly, even though it's warming up in the summertime, you might be sitting outside, have us on the big loud speaker, um, you know, there, you know, enjoy the sunset, all those sorts of things. Have a think about that. You might be doing exercise on a Friday night, getting your last run out for the week or, or something else. You might be, you know, driving away for the weekend for a family thing. Get the whole family enjoyed. We make sure we keep it PG rated on Behind the Steel Curtain. Um, but there's a whole host of great shows. There's shows focused on things like film rooms and team development. You know, when you're talking about shows like Here We Go with KT Smith and Bad and the cut and From the Cutting Room Floor with Jeffrey Benedict. You've got the guys, you know, that'll take you back in time on the hangover. Um, you've got Jeff Hartman Monday, Wednesday, Friday with you know, really cool interesting shows that have different formats that always keep you hanging. You have the Scobros doing their thing and then Dave Schofield doing his stat geek thing on a Thursday as well. You've got the draft fix guys um, that should be moving over into the fantasy football fix, I think, pretty soon. So you've got a whole heap of content. I probably I missed a couple of shows, but we're like something like 25 original shows per week. It's massive. So let's get into part two of the show, the proper part of the show to Marvin Liao, looking at some of the different stats that he's sort of racked up. Um, and it's it's definitely a really interesting situation with DeMarvin Liao. And I think this is where we get to see not just the 
scouting reports on the athleticism shot, we actually get to see you know his performances shot. So Demarvin Leal is say six foot three or six foot four, third round pick, eighty fourth overall, two hundred eighty three pounds. He had one hundred thirty three tackles in college, eighty six pressures in his three years in college. For 56 hurries, 17 quarterback hits, 13 sacks. He had 25 tackles for a loss. He had five pass defenses, two forced fumbles, and one interception. 2021 was his most productive year, where he had 58 of his 133 tackles. So Wallow almost you know, double any other year. Um, he had 12 and a half tackles for a loss. That's half of the 25 tackles for a loss that he had in his college career eight and a half out of his 13 sacks, um, two of his past defenses. So clearly his best year, and he only played 11 games versus the 12 games he played in 2019. So that was quite interesting um, from that perspective. I think he's had, I've pulled up six penalties overall. In 2021, um, said he had the eight and a half to nine sacks. PFF rounded it up to nine, but it's actually eight. Um, the five hits, 23 quarterback hurries. In 2021, he was a consensus All-American. He was the ninth, ranked ninth in the SEC for, tackle, for tackles for a loss with 13. Um, and he had he was ranked fifth in the SEC for sacks with eight and a half. So definitely those, those SEC rankings there, that's not an easy conference to be high in. So you've got your top 10 in two key stats, um, you know, when really you're also coming up against linebackers um, and more defensive edge, you know, ends and edge rushes. The other thing that I think is pretty cool, um, you know, when you look at this season, one of his biggest games um, was against Bama. He had seven total tackles there, um, no tackles for a loss. Uh, but his best tack game for tackles from a loss perspective was against Mississippi State, um, and he had two sacks in that game uh, as well. So that was his best overall game. When you look at it from a statistical perspective, we will look at some grades um, in a moment there from PFF side of things. Um, when you look at as well, when you look at him compared to Chris Jones, and this is where it's kind of interesting, I told you that he had 133 tackles, 25 tackles for a loss, five pass defenses, um, two forced fumbles, and, you know, 86 pressures. When you look at Chris Jones um, and where he's sitting there, it's pretty interesting because Chris Jones only had 18 tackles for a loss versus 25, only had 102 tackles. Um, and remember, these are both played for SEC teams. Um, they both played three years. So 102 tackles versus 133. 18 tackles for a loss for Chris Jones, 25 for DeMarvin Leal. Eight and a half sacks um, for Chris Jones. And then for DeMarvin Leal, we have 13. Now, Chris Jones had 10 pass defenses, so it shows a bit of a different alignment. But really, you know, he was drafted 37th overall, Chris Jones, in the second round. We drafted DeMarvin Leal, you know, in the, as I say, in the third round, 84th overall. The one thing to note, though, with Chris Jones is he is six foot six and 308 pounds. So he's a bit of a bigger bloke, um, but there's no reason DeMarvin Leal couldn't put, you know, the best part of that weight on. Um, but you wouldn't want him to lose too much athleticism, whereas on a six foot six frame versus six foot four, 20 pounds, you can actually spread quite effectively. Um, you know, so that that is a little bit of the difference there from that perspective. Um, when we look at grades overall, 
Um, so it's quite interesting. I'll talk to you about that, you know, the best game in 2021. If you go back to all the way to 2019, um, his three best games from a defensive grade perspective, according to PFF, were against UTSA with 78.1, um, 78.9 for Texas State and a 71.4 for Oklahoma State. Um, but he had a run defense high grade in the season against UTSA. UTSA of 80.9 um, and his tackle his highest grade for tackling in the season of 76.9 in that same game but he had a 76.4 against Mississippi State a 76.3 against Ole Miss a 76.2 against LSU so in 2019 you saw him really do well from a tackle perspective his best pass rush game was in week one against Texas State in his 2019 season his freshman season um, so that's that's pretty interesting from that perspective in 2020, um, his best game was against Florida with an 89.1 defensive grade. His run defense grade was an 88.1 um, in that game. His tackle grade was a 74.8, and his pass rush grade was a 74.5. His season high from a run grade perspective was that game, but he had a great game against LSU with an 83.5 run grade. Um, against North Carolina, um, he had a, in the bowl game, he had an 80.1 in 2020 against them. His best tackle grade uh, was against LSU with a 78.2. Uh, then he had a 76.2 for a tackle grade, um, tackling grade in against Arkansas. So you can see he's stepping up. Obviously, they are playing the SEC, but he's playing his better games there. Regardless of what you think of PFF, you know, at least the grades become standardized across his years. And we I do talk about them in the different prospects. Um, pass rush grade, his highest of the season in 2020 was a 78.4. His second highest, sorry, was a 78.4 against Auburn and an 80.1 against Tennessee. Coverage grade, high of the season in 2020 was a 72.5 against Vanderbilt. Then you move into 2021. So this last season just gone past. Um, so his best game of the season from a grade perspective was definitely against Colorado. He got an overall defensive grade of 87.6, a run dig, run defense grade of 78.7, a pass rush grade of 80, 85.0. Um, when you look at his next best game, we're probably going all the way down to the, um, the game that he had. Um, they don't have the opponent listed there actually, which is quite interesting. Um, Preview AM defensive grade. Interesting that they don't have the name there. Good on PFF for mucking us around from that perspective. So let's go to Old Miss, um, South Carolina, where he probably had his next best overall game um, or Old Miss. So South Carolina, 73.2 defensive grade, 70.6 run defense grade, 70.2 tackle grade, 76.9 pass rush grade. Um, against Old Miss, it was 72.9 in, in week 11 of the college season um, for a defensive grade, 74.7 from a run grade, only a 54.2 from a tackle grade. He missed uh, a couple of tackles that game, and his pass rush grade was a 69.4. So interesting from that perspective. I just spat out a whole lot of grades for you, but really when you look at it um, from a grading perspective, his overall grade in 2021 was a 70. 0.3 defensive grade, which is interestingly that it was that low um, despite his stats. But this is PFF grades versus the production that I was telling you about statistically. His run defense was 67.5. His tackle grade was 57.7. Um, his pass rush grade was a 74.9, uh, which is obviously his highest in those categories. And he had a coverage grade of 58.3. 
In 2020, his defensive grade was an 88.3 with a run, de- run defense grade of 80.3, a tackling grade of 62, a pass rush grade of 81.7, and a coverage grade of 72.8. And then in 2019, he had a defensive grade of 68.8 overall, a run defense grade of 73.1, a tackle grade of 66.3, a pass rush grade of 60.5, and a coverage grade of 60.6. So that's a lot of grades. But what I what I think you basically can see there is that he had a bit of consistency. Um, his run defense grade is pretty decently high in most seasons, but pass rush is really where he's doing well. And so you've seen that interior pressure that he gives. Again, this is this validates when you think about his size and his height, um, or when I say size, that's more height and weight together. You're looking at someone that's more, might be listed as defensive tackle on a 3-4, but he really will be that more defensive end, you know, rushing the passer. And, and so rushing, yeah, rushing, yeah. Um, and coming in um, from outside, you know, probably, you know, that that A gap or, or straight in front of the center. Now, as I say, Jeffrey Benedict had a great from the cutting room floor a few weeks back that talked about DeMarvin Liao. But when we look at his snaps from a college perspective, in 2021, he played 698 snaps, 95 snaps, sorry, from the D-line, um, lined up in the D-line. He played 484 in the D-line in 2020 and 484 in the D-line in 2020 and 424 in the D-line in 2019. He played three snaps in the box in 2021, one snap in 2020, and no snaps in the box in 2019. He played 39 special team snaps in 2021. Um he played 30 special team snaps in 2020 and he played 23 in 2019. Um, so what we're looking at there is things like um, kick block, um, kick, you know, protecting the kick, um, lining up, you know, to protect the kicker um, and the same thing for punts as well. So that's where he comes in. But that's a little bit so what when we say D-line because that only gives you a picture of A as he moved into the box. Not really. You wouldn't expect it at his size. Um, and, and what his skills sort of help. But those give you an overall 1,603 snaps that he's taken in college. However, when you look at the alignment, that's where it gets interesting. So he played, he's played 77 snaps in his college career at nose tackle or in the A-gap. 249, they listed as A-gap on here, but they call it over the nose tackle, which yes, technically is, but they're not distinguishing between lining up over the center or not. Um, he played 249 snaps in the D-line um, opposite the center, um, according to what how PFF grade it. Um, so that's pretty interesting there. Um, yeah, so on the D-line as a D-tackle, 219 snaps um, as uh, at, lined up at the, defend, the defensive line over an offensive tackle. And then he played uh, 1,000... This is interesting, right? I'm just going to make sure I got they definitely got this right. But he played 1,058 snaps on the D line outside the offensive tackle. So not quite the four eye, but you saw him putting that that pressure um, there. And it's quite interesting um, when you look at where, how the Steelers might be able to use him. And this is why I think it would be interesting to see whether they try and put him up and like get him to put him lots of size. Whether they're saying, "Hey, this is a guy that's really versatile. We can use him in some packages, different different fronts, different stunts, um, different things on the D line." 
But yeah, I mean, definitely a really versatile player when you look at that from those snaps. But I feel like he's going to have to do a bit more on the interior. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the Steelers and, you know, Brian Flores and Kyle Dunbar look to use him. And I say not Terrell Austin because I think Terrell Austin's focused on, you know, more, you know, the the secondary and a few linebackers and stuff like that. But he's going to be a really interesting player to watch. Um, it was interesting when you looked at, if you think about all those grades that I shared with you, particularly in this last season, his pass rush, you know, was much higher. But been, you know, that's pretty cool when you think that that's where he played the majority of snaps. But his run defense was pretty good um, as well throughout his college career. Um, you know, that was probably the most... I would say stable or with as little variance as, as possible um, in his overall grades, you know, because pass rushing really only came on in his second year, you know, coverage doesn't really count when he played really minimal snaps in coverage, um, tackling grade, tackling grade is his tackling grade. Um, you know, so that run defense is, is really interesting to see that low variance, um, you know, with less than 12 points, um, in the or 13 points in the way PFF do gradings, you know, across the three years um, from that perspective. So really with that, that's going to close out this week's Steelers War Room. I'm your host of this show, Matty Peverell. I look forward to joining you next week. We get to delve into Calvin Austin, um, the really fun pick, CA3. You know, I was trying to call him C3PO for a while. Um, really interesting pick for the Steelers and what he can do and, you know, I can't wait to, you know, go in and find out for you where his, some of his alignments were in college, some of his fun plays, some of the stuff to go back and look at it. But, you know, DeMarvin Leal could well be the steal of this draft. Um, he could well be the steal of this draft. Like Pickens, you know, will put the pressure on him to do that. But this is a guy that could have a, quite a long career as a stealer, um, you know, particularly if we show him a bit of love and thinking about, how the Steelers use guys like Cam Haywood and Stefan Tuitt. And the fact that those guys are probably not going to be on the roster in, you know, four years time. That's when DeMarlon Lee will be coming up as well. So, you know, interesting to see what we can do with him. But with that, enjoy your week coming up. And as always, stay behind the steel curve.